Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. So as we jump into the word for this morning, why don't you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it speaks hope and life into each one of us. And it seems to be something that transcends time and space. And so, loving God, as we reflect on what this familiar carol, this familiar song, this familiar hymn means for us, may you speak into our hearts. May you soften them to receive all that you have for us today. Perhaps a challenge from the way that we have experienced this before and discover a rich new truth for our experience of your incarnation this Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things I um, forgot to mention was, for many people, the... Uh, this, this hymn, Away in a Manger, is one that was scribed by, or written, composed by Martin Luther. That seems to be one of the Lutheran traditions, particularly absolutely unfounded and not true, by all accounts. I, c- I don't know who decided it wasn't, but it seems to be the case that there is no credible evidence that Martin Luther was the one that wrote Away in a Manger. So there you go, you can chuck that one on the next quiz night that you've got going on, whatever that looks like, but um, Away in a Manger has, is, it, they have no idea who it is that, that, um, that penned this song. So I wonder, I asked you the question as we began, where was a point of connection for you around this familiar song? Do you have a memory? Do you have a moment in time? I think for me, it, it, was, it had to be uh, back at the church that I grew up at, Teacher Gully Uniting Church, going through the children's ministry. Um, we had a, quite a big children's ministry at the time there, and I remember singing at a concert vividly, and I don't know if I was singing particularly well or anything like that, I, I don't have any sort of recollection of that particularly, but I remember singing it as a child, declaring this beautiful truth about this little baby Jesus and what He did for me. And and when you look at the lyrics of this song, be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask you to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care. It's such a beautiful, beautiful prayer in many ways, from the heart of a child to God. But the question that I have to pose to you today, when we reflect on this hymn, Away in a Manger, is simply this, is Jesus still a baby? 
No. No, he's not. Let's pray. No, I'm kidding. You thought I was finished. Is Jesus still a baby? Because as I was reflecting on this hymn, I couldn't escape the reality of that, of what it is that we explore with this hymn. We say, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down His sweet head. And the stars in the bright sky looked down where He lay, etc., etc. There's a, such a beautiful and vivid picture of this little baby Jesus. But the question I could not escape when I was reflecting on what it is God wanted me to teach out of this hymn was, is Jesus still a baby? And the the answer is simply no. Jesus is not still a baby. The reality is that He's not six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. He is the Lord, full stop. He is the Lord, end of story. When the angels spoke to the shepherds that night in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, they appeared in the sky above the shepherds and they said, do not be afraid. Why? Because it was a host of warrior angels. Fair enough. Do not be afraid. We bring you good news of great joy. And it's great joy for all people. Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The first of the signs witnessed by others was this baby would not be where they'd normally keep babies, but instead he would be in a place that you fed animals. We all know that really well. And scholars mostly suggest that it may, may have less been a stable and perhaps more a cave out the back of an area, and it may have not been necessarily a wooden feeding trough like we're so familiar with. I'm totally going to trip over that. Um, and it's more likely perhaps carved out stone in the ground, but I wasn't there, so I don't really know, um, and neither were you, I don't think. No, no, no one was there. So, But the truth of the New Testament, the truth of the witness, the biblical witness, is that whilst Jesus was born a baby, He did not stay that way. Whilst He was born and He had a journey ahead of Him, which was that He would be the Messiah, the one that would save all of creation. Beyond just Israel, He would be the Lord that would save all things, and all of creation would be under His authority. So, He was born meek and mild, little baby Jesus, but He did not stay that way. And in fact, the New Testament records the word Lord, which is in the Greek called Kyrios. Can you say that with me? Kyrios. Kyrios, 740 times in the New Testament alone declaring the truth of Jesus as Lord. So the question that struck me was not just, is, baby Jesus, is Jesus still a baby, but do I still treat Him like one? And if I were to transfer that question to you, it would be, do you still treat Jesus like a baby? 
Our first response would be no, because we wouldn't dare suggest yes. But as I thought a little bit deeper about my journey with Jesus and what it's looked like to journey through the day-to-day life, the day-to-day challenges, the day-to-day callings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I became less and less certain of my ability to say that I do not treat Jesus like a baby anymore. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time, reflecting on this, this Christmas hymn, is to reflect on the reality that you and I need to wrestle with every single day as followers of Jesus, and that is, are we following Him with everything that we have? Oh, by the way, just a quick aside... I think it's in verse 2 of Away in a Manger. Bethany, could you pull that up? Verse 2 of Away in a Manger. If it'll come up, if hopefully, it'll come up on the screen. It says something about baby Jesus not crying. Do you believe that? Who's been a parent? Who is a parent? Who was a parent? Brought up a child? Been a witness to a child? Sat in service where a child cried? That's all of us, because I know my child's done it in this service, and you're all here. So, baby Jesus, no crying He makes? I'm sorry, I don't believe that at all. I would say, of all the statements in the Christmas carols, and what's fascinating is a bunch of people have done different um, sort of biblical analysis of Christmas carols, and most of them actually line up pretty well. That's been a super helpful resource for me in terms of shaping this series. That is big fat lie. Big fat lie. I don't believe Jesus is still Lord, but I bet you that He cried. That's all I'm going to say about that. Moving on. But what I think it does serve to illustrate for us is the nostalgia that is wrapped up in this idea of the baby Jesus. A nostalgia that helps us, in some ways, if I'm honest, never quite grow up when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And as I was thinking about this concept, and as I wrestled with it, what came to the fore was the question of control. And that might seem like a jarring moment. But as I reflected on whether I, treat, if, whether I treat, treat Jesus like a baby in my journey of faith or not, ultimately came down to the question of control. Because the thing is, when we have a child in our life, we're the parent, they're the child, or we're an aunt, we're an uncle, they're the child, we're the grandparent, they're the child, what do we do or how do we treat them? It's a very simple answer. We're right, they're wrong. True? pretty much, and if we're wrong, we're right, in some way. And even if, because the reality of, a, of being a parent, and we've t- talked about this before, is that whilst we want them to understand a bunch of things about the world, one of the core realities of being a parent is that we are called to keep them safe, and sometimes we don't have time to explain to them what we want them to do, we just want them to do it. One day we want them to understand why, but right now, want them to not touch the oven because the oven is hot. I don't care if they understand it's hot or not. 
They need to do as I say. And that is the disposition that we have over children as adults. And many of you, most of you, all of you probably were brought up that way, that we listen to the adults in our life. It's a show of respect. Now, I want to have a look at a passage of Scripture, and let's see what Jesus had to say to a bunch of people that He was journeying with. We're headed to Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord? but you don't do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words but does not put them into practice, decides that they know better, decides that they're in charge, decides that they're the parent in the relationship. It's like a man who built his house on a ground without foundation, which would have been sand. The moment the torrent, the wind, the storm, the troubles of life, the challenges, the things that weren't going as had hoped. As the moment that they struck that house, it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was complete. There was nothing left, nothing at all. And obviously, Jesus is talking about more than just bricks and mortar, isn't He? But He opens with the question. He says, why do you call me Lord, little Lord Jesus? but you don't do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, but you think that you know better? Why do you call me Lord, but you decide to go and do the things that you want to do? Why do you call me Lord, and you don't listen? Because every time that you don't, Jesus says, you may as well be building this structure, this, this journey of faith on sand as opposed to rock. And Jesus quite simply says, the fruit of that speaks for itself. And you notice He says that the destruction will be complete. So often when we seek to go our own way, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this, but I have. Most of the time when I don't listen to my mum or my wife, I end up in trouble in some way. The wise people in my life, when I don't listen to them, it tends not to go too well for me in that way. Don't elbow anyone, don't look across at anyone, don't nudge anyone, that's just the reality for me, in my experience. But I've got to tell you, I've landed in some trouble when I haven't, landed, when I haven't listened to my wife, and I've landed in some trouble when I haven't listened to It's actually not that I get in trouble with Eloise, it's actually that I get in trouble with the situation because I made some unwise choices. So, don't don't read into that what's not there. And when I didn't listen to my mum, I I got in strife. 
again, not with her so much as most of the situation. They just, for some reason, they just let causality play its course, and I find out the hard way. But I've got to tell you that every time I've had a sense of clarity about what I thought Jesus wanted me to do and I didn't do it, I've got to tell you, the consequences were a whole lot worse than just listening to my parents or listening to my wife. And when Jesus talks about the destruction of the house being complete, what I read and what I understood that to mean is He's not just talking about our physical life, He's talking about our spiritual life. He's talking about our, our eternal life, our eternal destination. That there's something, there's a connectedness, a point of connection there somewhere around not, us, not just calling Jesus Lord, but treating Him like Lord and listening to Him and understanding that He knows better rather than us. And that something in the mystery of that understanding is what brings us to a life of fullness, not just now, but in His name. So the question still remains, do you treat Jesus as Lord? And if, if you're not sure, I suppose we could break it down into a couple of different ways, a couple of different things we could think about. The partially surrendered life and the fully surrendered life. Jesus says, you, t- you call me Lord, yet you don't listen to what I say. Now, I don't know about you, but I do my best. to to listen to what Jesus says and do what He thinks is wise for me in my life. I don't often hear Jesus speak into my mind. In fact, I can't think of the last time I've specifically heard the voice of God in my mind. It doesn't happen very often to anybody in my experience. Most of the time, Jesus has already spoken on the issue. It's right there. All the red in the Bible is Jesus' words. But there's so much within the Scriptures where God has already spoken about an idea. And so, so often I listen to something, and I hear something, read something, and it's, there's a sense of knowing what it is I ought to do. But the tension is that sometimes I just don't do it. I just choose not to. And the bottom line of that reality is that I have decided that Jesus hasn't grown up, that He's still the little baby in the manger, and that I know better. And one of the things that we need to, one of the things that we need to understand about the Lordship of Jesus, and you might not have never recognised this or, or not, but the Lordship of Jesus exists whether you like it or not whether we think it does or not, whether we believe it or not. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus is Lord, whether we like it or not. It's kind of in the same way that, I don't want to drop my Bible, is there something else I can drop? No, that's a cup of coffee, I won't do that. Here we go, phone, no, no, what do we, wallet, that'll do. Does gravity exist? Yes, it is a force in our universe that absolutely exists. Do I have to believe that it exists? Absolutely not. 
No, I don't have to believe that gravity exists at all. Yet my belief about its existence has zero consequence as to whether it impacts my life or not, right? As to whether it exists, whether it is a reality, is completely unrelated or unconnected or disconnected from whether I choose to believe it or not. So I could say, gravity's not going to work, I don't believe it exists. Still don't believe it, but I saw a YouTube article or YouTube video that said that my belief of gravity has very little relevance to the reality of gravity, right? And so for many of us, our belief as to whether Jesus is Lord or not, has very little to do with his, the reality of Jesus being Lord or not. The only question is, is He the Lord of our life or not? Because that one, that one's up to us to decide. And so we have, as I said, we have two choices. We can partially surrender our life to Jesus, or we can fully surrender our life to Jesus. So what does it look like to partially surrender our life to Jesus? What does it look like in our life to partly do what it is that Jesus calls us to do? Do we what it is that we know, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you know what it is that Jesus calls you to do? Can you, you think about what that might look like? For me, one of the things that I struggled with in my journey of faith, and still do in many ways, is, I'll be honest with you, it's greed. Some of you are like, whoa, that's right, I'm leaving this church. <laughs> greed. And in some, in, in one of the things that I have journeyed with through my entire life as a follower of Jesus, is battling the assumption that everything is for my consumption, because that's what greed is. Greed is the assumption that everything is for your consumption. Other people call it the Labrador eating mode. You know, anyone had a Labrador? Anyone watched them eat their dinner? If you blink, you'll miss it. We had a Labrador for 14 years, and he was a beautiful dog, and, but straight up, man, that brother could eat, and 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 eat. Once he knocked the food box off of the top shelf of the, and he ate five days of food in about 20 minutes. He was so sick, man. But for me, one of the things that I have, I don't know where I'm, I'm feeling distracted this morning. It was a big night last night with gingerbread night. I'm tired today. But here we are. For me, that one of the partially surrendered moments across my whole journey has been around greed. It's been about constantly remembering that you don't have to eat that. You don't have to do that. You don't, have, you don't need that. Why? Because all you need is Jesus. And that might seem like a silly illustration, but it, 
it points to a reality that's true for all of us, because what is, what is greed in our life? Greed is the, is, is the inherent assumption that Jesus is not enough, and that you can ultimately be satiated by something else. And, we, and you've, got, you've got something in your journey of faith that's like this. And so, for each of us, the partially surrendered life looks like the to and fro battle. And then it becomes the concession. Is that when you and I, we battle with one thing or another, and at some point, we start making concessions about it. Just one more piece of cake. Just one more. I've preached about this before, haven't I? Haven't we? Just one more of something. I know that I know that God said that I shouldn't, but if God really knew my situation, then He would give me a pass. I know God said that I should need to be generous, but if God knew what my finances were like, then He would give me a pass. If God knew how much I wanted that cake, He'd let me have one more piece. If God really knew my situation with my friends, if God really knew, then perhaps God would give me a cast. Jesus, I know what you've said about, I'll call it what it is, about sex outside of marriage. But if you really knew how much we loved each other, then you would be okay with it. That's not just a young person thing, by the way. But it's an interesting question. And that's what I believe the the partially surrendered life looks like. And I wanted us to turn to a, a proverb that I think illustrates this beautifully for us, from Proverbs chapter 3, and it was the first proverb I ever learned as a child at a Christian Endeavor camp. And, it's, and it says this, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean mostly on what you understand about the world. And in, in some of your ways, submit to Him, and He'll consider making your path straight. Do everything you know to be right in your own eyes. Consider the Lord and flirt with evil. Is that what it says? Sorry, was that, was that it? No. What does it say? It says nothing like what I just said. But how often do we live our life like that? I feel like we've had two sermons of of uh, warm and fuzzy encouragement, so I'm I'm sort of ripping the band-aid off a little bit today. I apologize for that, but I don't in some ways, because I think for many of us in our journey towards Advent, where we've got the nostalgia of, of the birth of Jesus, I think some of us need to be shocked out of the familiar and to shine some fresh light on the truth of our journey of faith, and that some of us, we are still treating Jesus like a baby and like we know better than He does. But the truth written in Proverbs hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus was trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to Him. And then He promises He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise, therefore, in your own eyes. But fear, respect, 
honour the Lord and shun, that is, run from evil. And this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Friends, Scripture is so clear that Jesus is not a part-time Lord. Jesus is not a part-time Messiah. Jesus isn't just there when we want to acknowledge His sovereignty over our life and that we can push Him aside as part-time Lord at other times. He is the all-reigning, complete, supreme Prince of Priests, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, was there at the beginning and will be there after the end. That is the Jesus that we believe in. That is the Jesus that the angels that night declared as Lord. And it's the same Jesus that lay there in the manger, but He grew up. And I think this Christmas... The challenge is for us to, to remember to see Him that way. To remember to see Him that way. So where in your life are you still vying with God for control like you know better? Because I think that's the challenge for today. Where in our life have we partially surrendered, still thinking that we know better, still thinking that we know more? Instead, you and I, we're called to a fully surrendered life. And it's hard. Anyone who tells you it's not is a big fat liar. In the same way that Jesus, baby Jesus didn't cry. Big fat lie. Anyone that tells you the Christian journey is hard is lying to you. Jesus didn't soften it. But instead, Jesus declared that whilst you will, ta- you will be required to take up your cross daily, surrender to me daily, give up your superiority excuse me, over my sovereignty daily, whilst you will need to do that every single day, it's not a one and done deal, you'll have to do it for the 46 years on that you're, you're on this earth or the, the 96 years that you're on this earth, however many summers God blesses you with, this is a daily journey of surrender. And so, what is the fully submitted fully surrendered life look like? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 14, and he says this, For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live as a follower of Jesus, we live for the Lord. And if we die as a follower of Jesus, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. The reality, friends, is if if you have declared that you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to the Lord. 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we accept the gift of grace through Jesus, the gift of grace that paid the debt of sin upon our life, when we accept that free gift, it costs us everything. That's the good news and the challenging news. When we accept the free gift, it costs us everything. How much? Everything. All of it. Our whole life. A life of love and trust in the goodness of God. And I think about what was my one reservation about trusting Jesus with something, about living and doing what it is that I I knew was the right thing to do, about fully surrendering my life in a certain area. What was it that I was worried about? And then it hit me, and this might be true for you as well. I was worried that Jesus was going to have me miss out on something. It was FOMO. As a millennial, you would know that term. FOMO is fear of missing out. It's crippling within my generation for some reason. But FOMO is the fear of missing out. And that is the thing that underpins all of our choices that determine that we know better than God in a specific area, is that somehow if, somehow the big bad God is stopping us from enjoying life. Somehow God is a killjoy and He doesn't want us to enjoy our life. Is that the truth? Heck no! God is a God of love. God is a God of goodness. God wants the best for you and for me, no matter your age and no matter your stage. And so, if that is true, if God is infinitely good and infinitely loving, then can He withhold that goodness and love for us in any way? Absolutely not. So, the disconnect for us in partially surrendering our life is that somehow the enemy has breathed a word that says, He's holding back. There's a little bit more for you that He just doesn't want you to have. And we know that's not true. So the fully surrendered life is not just doing as Jesus says, whilst that's good enough. It's not just treating Jesus like Lord rather than a baby in a manger. The fully surrendered life is trust that Jesus loves you and that just maybe He wants the best for you and that His perspective on the area of your life that you're struggling to surrender to Him, you just want to hold on just for a little bit longer just maybe his perspective, what he, what he can see on the other side of your surrendering to him is something so wonderful that you couldn't bear to imagine it, but it's better than whatever it is that you're holding on to right now.
to love the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to Him. And what's the promise? He will make your paths straight. So my prayer for you this Christmas is that when you hear that song, Away in a Manger, and you will, hopefully in a, in a, um, in a shop somewhere, when you hear Away in a Manger, my prayer for you this Christmas is that God would prompt in your heart where it is that you or I are still treating Him like the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. And we need to remember that He is Lord. Let's pray together, church. Loving God, I thank You for Your Word and for the way that it speaks to us. And, and there's such a beautiful hymn, isn't it? filled with such warm memories. And Lord, in many ways, it was a song fit for a time. A time in our faith when we just simply needed to know Your love and Your proximity to us. And whilst that truth never changes, that You love us, and that You are closer than we could ever dream. Lord, You grew up, and our faith needs to grow up too. So, would You open our hearts, give us the grace to receive this message today, as challenging as it is, that as we journey towards Christmas once more, that You would show us where we've partially surrendered our life, and would we have the courage to trust You, trusting that whatever is on the other side of our obedience to You, of our submission to You, will be better than we could ever imagine. In Your name we pray. Amen.